Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey, church. Today we are continuing our series called A Clearer Vision of Scripture. We're talking about the Bible this month. And last week we talked about how the Bible is from God, and we talked about the doctrine of inspiration. And today we're going to talk about the focus of the Bible, that the Bible is about Jesus. I heard the story of uh, four people. They're flying on an airplane. There was a pilot. There was the world's smartest man. There was a young traveler, and there was an elderly pastor, kind of like Steve. Uh, And then all of a sudden the, the plane lost power and the pilot comes over the intercom. He says, I've got bad news. We're going down. Worse yet, there's four of us on the plane, but only three parachutes. And it's my plane, so I'm taking one of them. And the pilot just grabs one of the parachutes, jumps out the door, leaving these three passengers with only two parachutes left. Well, immediately the world's smartest man jumps up and grabs one of the chutes and says, hey, I'm the world's smartest man. I have to survive. See you guys later. And he jumps out the door, leaving just these two passengers left with one parachute remaining. Well, the elderly passed turns to the young traveler and he says, listen, I've lived a long and full life. I'm not scared to die. You take the last parachute. To which the young traveler said, oh no, don't worry about it. Actually, we can each have one. The world's smartest man just jumped out with my backpack strapped on. (laughs) You see, when we don't understand the purpose of a tool, we can be in danger of misusing it. Uh, The Ethiopian king, Menelik II, deeply loved God's word, but he may not have fully understood it. You see, the Bible talks very poetically about how we need to devour and digest God's word. And so Menelik II developed this habit where anytime he was feeling sick, he'd just rip a few pages out of his Bible and he'd chew them up and eat them. Unfortunately, he eventually died after attempting to consume the entire books of First and Second Kings. It's a true story. And so today, for the sake of your health, <laughs> we're going to be talking about what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. So let's talk about first two things that the Bible is not. First of all, the Bible is not just a rule book. Uh, A few weeks ago, my son Judah was kind of playing with his rowdy cousins for a few days. And then after they left, he came up to Rebecca and me and he says, the Bible says not to jump on the furniture. (laughs) And and I think that's how a lot of us treat the Bible. Like it's just this list of do's and don'ts. Thou shalt and thou shalt not, right? Thou, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not jump on the furniture. But the Bible's more than that. As if the basic message of the Bible was be good because it's good to be good and it's bad to be bad, so be good. But the Bible's not just a rule book. And secondly, the Bible is not a self-help manual. A lot of people treat the Bible like that, like, okay, uh, want to have a better marriage? Turn to page 23. Uh, What do I do when I'm dealing with anxiety? Turn to page uh, 17. Uh, uh, What's the proper view on the end times? Turn to page 40. How do I fix my kid? Uh, Pages 12 through 942. (laughs) But have you ever noticed that the Bible's not actually laid out like that? Now, please hear me. The Bible does have great advice, the world's best advice. I mean, if you want to learn about leadership, go read Nehemiah. If you want to learn about love, go read Ruth. If you want to learn about finances, read Proverbs. If you want to learn about family life, read Ephesians. If you want to learn about justice, read Deuteronomy. The Bible's full of great advice. But the Bible is not primarily good advice. It's good news. It's it's basically a story. The Bible is a narrative because Christianity is not just about doctrine or ideas. It's about a person. 
So if the Bible's not just a rule book and it's not a self-help manual, then what is it? Well, uh, have you heard the story about the little boy in class at church and the teacher asked the class, all right, class, uh, what's brown, has a bushy tail, likes to climb trees and eat nuts? Little boy raised his hand and said, well, teacher, I, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> and I think that kid had pretty good instincts. Because, yeah, the answer to pretty much any question we have is Jesus. And that's the answer to our question, too. Uh, So what is the Bible? Here it is. The Bible is a unified story which leads us to Jesus. Let me say that again. The Bible is a unified story which leads us to Jesus. I've heard it said before that the Bible is a hymn book, H-I-M. It's all about him. Every story is about Jesus. Every page whispers his name. And in fact, Jesus himself taught this. There's this great event in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has just risen from the dead, but most people don't know it yet. And two of Jesus's followers, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're walking along the road, heading back to their hometown, and they are brokenhearted. And they're moping along the road and lingering in their minds as the memory of Jesus's dead body dangling from the cross on Friday afternoon. And as they're sadly walking along, going home, leaving their hopes and dreams behind, another traveler comes up beside them and asks to walk with him. And they said, sure. Little did they know that this other traveler was Jesus himself. They didn't recognize him. We'll pick the story up here in verses 17 through 27. It says, he asked them, keep in mind that he is Jesus, but they don't recognize him yet. He said, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? (laughs) You sense the irony there, right? They're talking to Jesus, the only one who actually does know everything that happened there. And I love what Jesus does. He's so subtle. He's he's playing with them. Look at this. What things? (laughs) He asked. I, I love Jesus. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And catch this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Did you catch that? Jesus just said that the whole Bible is about him. That the Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And then he walks them through the whole thing. I mean, I'm sorry, you guys have to listen to me today. Can you imagine if Jesus was the one walking us through scripture? That'd spice up our church service a little bit. Imagine the sign out front. Preacher, Jesus. Text, whole Bible. Subject, himself. I mean, man, I would have loved to have been there. The Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Let's dissect that statement here for a minute. Let's take the first part. The Bible is a unified story. 
Now, this is a picture that I have hanging up in my office. You can find this picture if you just Google visualizing the Bible. Now, here at the bottom, it might be hard to tell for you on the screen, but this little bar alternates between gray and white. And these little gray and white alternating sections, each one of them represents a book of the Bible. And now the length of these up and down vertical bars, these bars represent chapters of the Bible. And the length of the bar corresponds to the length of the chapter. So right here in the very middle of the Bible is Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the Bible that you all read last week. And now these lines are cross-references. In other words, every time one chapter of the Bible references or riffs off another chapter, they draw a line between the two of them. And the distance and color of the lines correspond the distance to, to the distance between the chapters. So here we have all 67,339 cross-references in scripture laid out for us. Don't you see it? The Bible is a unified story. So that's the first part. The Bible's a unified story. Here's the second part that leads us to Jesus. You see, the Bible itself will not save you, but it will lead you to someone who will. During his time on earth, Jesus got on to the religious leaders a lot because they loved the Bible, but they missed the point of letting the Bible lead them to him. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter five about this. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We have been given the Bible in order that we may know Jesus. The Bible's a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And we see this all over scripture. Our text for the month, kind of our little verse, our motto, I guess, for this series is 2 Timothy 3.16. You might remember all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Well, right before that, right before verse 16, in verses 14 and 15, Paul says this to his young protege, Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible is a unified story which leads us to Jesus. Now, for the rest of our time together today, I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper and we're gonna look at how the Bible leads us to Jesus. And really, we're only gonna be able to skim the surface today. So if you haven't yet, again, like we said last week, please go sign up for Equip You in semester one of Equip You. You learn all about uh, what we believe. Semester two is all about this stuff, how to read the Bible. It's a great online teaching platform. We're excited to see how God has been and we'll continue to use that. And then next week, Steve's gonna give us some more tools about how to read the Bible, but for now, we're going to dive in. And, and for, for the rest of our time together, we're going to have to go pretty fast. We're going to be making a lot of references without the time for a whole lot of backstory. So if you are new to the Bible and this all kind of goes over like a lead balloon and it's confusing, please don't feel discouraged. Don't give up. Just cling to the main point. Remember the main point, that the Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Okay. Now, as we dive in, we got to remember that the Bible is divided into two major sections. You got the Old Testament and you got the New Testament. The Old Testament is everything that happened before Jesus. And the New Testament is the story of Jesus's life and the birth of the church. Now, so let's begin, let's begin in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Hebrews divided their scripture, which is our Old Testament, into three main sections, the law, the prophets, and the writings. 
And the law, or is also called the Torah, the Torah, was uh, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the law tells the story of God creating the world, but then the world falling into sin, but then God putting this plan in motion by choosing and using one family to set the world right again and, and creating them into the, the nation of Israel. That's the law. Then come the prophets. And the Jews divided the, the prophets into these uh, two categories here. First, we have the former prophets, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then we have the later prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And the prophets tell the story of God's people wandering away, but God not giving up on them. He continues to call them back to himself. So we have the law, we have the prophets, and then in the Old Testament, we also have the writings. And the writings were other works like the Psalms, which was the songbook of the Jews. And uh, we also have what we call the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Also includes the works and the stories of Ruth and First and Second Chronicles, Song of Solomon, Lamentations, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Daniel. Now, this, this is the Old Testament. Now, it might seem strange to you to look for Jesus in the Old Testament, right? Because this is all the stuff that happened before Jesus came to earth. Well, actually, the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament, that Jesus understood who he was and what his mission was in light of the Old Testament, and so do we. So I'm gonna give you now four interpretive keys for how to look for Jesus even in the Old Testament, because it still points for him, okay? Four interpretive keys, and the first one is this. As you're reading your Old Testament, look for the prediction of Jesus. Look for the prediction of Jesus. Uh, the Old Testament, the, the basic message is this. And you, you, please, uh, if you haven't yet, you, you're probably gonna want a Bible open. You can pause this right now, get your Bible open, open up the table of contents, get out a pen, get ready to jot some notes down. I hope these things can be helpful for you later when you read your Bible. And you can write this down. The message of the Old Testament is that someone is coming. Someone is coming that God is going to send somebody to make the world right again. And that somebody was called the Messiah. Uh, rabbis teach that there were uh, even up to 456 prophecies, predictions of the Messiah and what it will be like when he comes. And so you can look for those as you read your Old Testament. We find these predictions, these prophecies. You see them in places like Genesis 3, which says he'll be born of a woman. Genesis 12 says he's gonna come from Abraham's family. Genesis 49 says he's gonna be from the tribe of Judah. 2 Samuel 7 says he's gonna be from David's family. Isaiah 53 says he's gonna suffer for sin. Psalm 16 says he's gonna rise from the dead. So look for the prediction of Jesus. That's the first interpretive key. Second one is this. Look for a picture of Jesus. Even if the text that you're reading doesn't have an explicit prophecy of the Messiah in it, the Old Testament is just littered with these pictures, these images of what the Messiah will be like when he comes. They're these like signposts that kind of point us down the road toward Jesus. And the author of Hebrews in the New Testament talks about these pictures uh, when he says this, he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the reality of themselves. And as you read the Old Testament, you find these shadows, these kind of outlines, these images, these pictures everywhere that point us toward Jesus. Let me give you just one example. Leviticus chapter 16. A lot of people think of Leviticus as a pretty dry and boring book, but if you dig deep, it's beautiful. Leviticus chapter 16 tells us of the, on the day of atonement, the Jewish high priest would stand up before a large gathering of all the Israelites. And what he would do is he would have a scapegoat. And the Hebrew word there for scapegoat is the word azazel. 
And that scapegoat would take away the sins of the people. The word azazel means to take away. So this is the taking away goat, the scapegoat. And the high priest would lay his hands there on the head of the azazel, the scapegoat. He would confess the sins of the people, symbolically transferring their guilt to that goat. And then a man would take that goat outside of the camp and release it into the wilderness. And so when that goat ran off, it was symbolically carrying away the guilt of the sins of the people with it. The azazel, the taking away goat. Now, fast forward, flip to the New Testament. John chapter 19, Jesus is standing before a great gathering of the Israelites and they're about to lead him away to go die on the cross and the crowd is about to begin shouting, crucify him. But before they do, do you know what they shout? Take him away, take him away. In other words, their shouts may have sounded like Azazel, Azazel. And then Jesus would be led outside of Jerusalem, outside of the camp. And he would bear the guilt of the people and he would take away their sin by dying on the cross. So now when we read the Old Testament through our New Testament glasses, when you come to Leviticus chapter 16, a light bulb should go off. Oh, that, that reminds me of Jesus. Over and over again, you should have that feeling when you read about the prophets and the kings and the temple and the tabernacle and the priests and the sacrificial system. These are pictures that point us to Jesus. So look for a prediction, look for a picture. The third interpretive key in the Old Testament is look for preparation for Jesus. As you read the text, ask the question, how does this prepare the way for Jesus? For example, the story of David and Goliath, right? I'm, I, you're probably familiar with that story. Well, when you ask this question, how does this prepare the way for Jesus? That story becomes about a whole lot more than just God can help you slay your giants too, which he can. But if we ask the question, how's this preparing the way for Jesus? All of a sudden the story gets deeper and richer and the story becomes this story of a God. And, and we reveal the character of this God who uses really weak and surprising people who choose to trust him to do incredible things. That, that sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? That this story becomes a story of a God who defends his chosen people in order to keep his promise to use this people to bless the whole world. And how does he bless them? He blesses them through Jesus. This becomes the story of a God who is establishing his supremacy over any and all other gods that he alone is the one true God. Sounds like Jesus. This becomes the story, David and Goliath. This becomes the story of God paving the way for David to become king of Israel. And when David does become king, God makes a promise to David that somebody from his family is gonna sit on the throne forever. And then Jesus comes along, the great, 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 great grandson of David. And he is right now reigning on that throne as king forever, the one who defeats our ultimate enemy of sin and death. The story of David and Goliath is preparing the way for Jesus. That's the third thing. Look for preparation for Jesus. And here's the final interpretive key for the Old Testament. Look for a prerequisite for Jesus. And this one works particularly well with the law, some of the rules, right? So think about the 10 commandments. Now, one of the 10 commandments says, do not covet. Well, when I read that command, do not covet, first thing that shows me is, is the character of God. That, that, that God is a giver and that I should trust him to be a giver, that he is going to take care of my needs. I don't have to be jealous of anybody else. I should be content and grateful with what he's given me. And I also should be a giver and not a taker. It shows me the character of God, but it also shows me the character of me because when I see that command, don't covet, I'm again confronted with the reality that no matter how hard I try, I can't stop coveting. 
I, I, I have trouble being content. I have trouble trusting that God's gonna give me what I need. I have trouble being grateful for what he's given me. That, that a lot of days I'm a taker and not a giver. And so this law kind of serves as a prerequisite. It's like a flashlight that God takes and gets under the hood of my heart and shines it around and shows me why I need Jesus because I need him to save me and give me the power to obey his commands because I can't do it on my own. So, so the, the law serves as a prerequisite. It highlights why we need Jesus. So that's the Old Testament. Look for prediction, picture, preparation, and prerequisite for Jesus because he's there. Remember the message. Someone is coming. Now let's pause for a minute before we jump into the New Testament. Again, please, uh, we're not gonna be able to go in depth today. Steve's gonna give us some more great tools next week, but if you haven't, go sign up for Equip You. All right, so um, any of you like doing puzzles? I'm, I'm not much for puzzles. Honestly, I'd rather spend an afternoon scratching a chalkboard. <laughs> but, but let's say I gave you a puzzle to do, and, and all I gave you was the puzzle pieces it'd probably be a little tricky for you to put that puzzle together. Uh, you might end up with some funky looking pictures, but you know, then if I gave you the box and you got to look at the picture on the box, it'd probably be a lot easier. And by looking at the big picture, you could be able to tell where each individual piece should go. And the same thing is true of the Bible, that when we see the big picture, we know where each little piece fits. That big picture is called the meta-narrative, just the big story of the Bible. And I've grown to really appreciate children's Bibles as one of the best ways to understand the meta-narrative of Scripture because it puts it in really simple terms and they have to simplify things. They, they really catch the big story of Scripture well. So for our family in particular, these are some of the children's Bibles that we think do a really good job of capturing the big story of the Bible. First, we have just a couple storybooks. They're not full-blown Bibles, but a couple Bible storybooks. Uh, the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross is a great one. The Biggest Story is another really good one. I actually have a, a baby board book version of The Biggest Story. You can teach your kids the meta-narrative of scripture and the ABCs at the same time. They can chew on the pages. It's a great gig. They're not even paying me royalties. Isn't this great? Uh, then we have the Jesus Storybook Bible. These two are more actual real Bibles. Um, and the Jesus Storybook Bible is what they use over there in the treehouse. It is really great. Every story gets to Jesus. And then over here, we have the Big Picture Interactive Bible Storybook. This one uh, is a little bit more advanced, maybe for like elementary kids, even late elementary, gives you some more uh, just solid Bible teaching with each story. But all of these do a great job of capturing the big picture meta narrative of scripture. And there's no shame. It's been a really worshipful thing for me to spend time in these children's Bibles. And I hope it can be for you too. All right, you guys ready to dive back in? We're done with the Old Testament now. So let's go ahead and jump into the New Testament. Now, the New Testament begins with four books called the Gospels. And the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels are the story of Jesus. And uh, they're the story of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And the Gospels, for our fifth interpretive key here, is look for the presence of Jesus. Look for the presence of Jesus, because this is where Jesus is. As you read the Gospels, ask the question, all right, what does this show me about who Jesus is? What, what do I need to believe as a result of this? Because these were written so that you would believe in Jesus. John actually tells us that that's why he wrote his Gospel in chapter 20. If you have a preschooler and they've been watching the kids' worship stuff, last month you'll remember that this was their memory verse. So kids, if you're watching right now, uh, let's do the motions and you can say it with me to your parents. Ready? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 20, 31. Let's say it one more time. Parents, you can do it with me now that you know it. Ready? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, John 20, 31. 
The gospels were written so that you would believe in Jesus, so that you'd experience his presence. In fact, if, if you are new to reading the Bible, you don't have a good Bible reading rhythm yet, but you're wanting to get into it, uh, I'd encourage you just start with the gospel of John. Just take it little bit by little bit and ask this question. What, what do I need to believe about Jesus because of this? What does this show me about who he is and what he does? That's the Gospels. Next comes the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the story of the early church. And so in the book of Acts, we have to ask this question. This is our uh, fifth or sixth, I guess, interpretive key. Look for the people of Jesus. Because Jesus himself has ascended into heaven. He's not physically present in the book of Acts, but his people are. And his people are doing his work by his power. So when you see the people of Jesus in the book of Acts, look, ask the question, okay, what are the people of Jesus doing? And, and what does that show me about who Jesus is and how I'm called to live now? Okay, so remember the message of the Old Testament is someone is coming. The message of the gospels is that someone is here. And now we're moving from the gospels to Acts to the epistles. And the, the uh, seventh, I guess I'm having trouble counting. The seventh uh, interpretive key here is this. Look for the provision of Jesus. The Old Testament says someone's coming. The gospels say someone is here. And the epistles say, hey, someone has come. And here's what it means to follow him. Here's what it means for your everyday life. Now that word epistles is just a big fancy Bible word for letters. The epistles are letters that were written to the early churches to show them how to be the followers of Jesus. And we have the letters of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. So make that big old bracket there in your Bible and look for the provision of Jesus. Because remember, the Bible is not just a rule book and it's not just a self-help manual. It's not just about saying, hey, be nicer, be kind, be patient. If all the Bible did was tell us what to do, but didn't give us the power to do it, one author says that'd be like looking at somebody who's drowning and saying, hey, swim, swim, why aren't you swimming? But thankfully, the Bible doesn't just tell us what to do. It also gives us the provision, the power to live it out. So as you read the epistles, Look for how the life of Jesus provides for you to be able to live for him. Because through the grace that Jesus has given us on the cross, through the power of his Holy Spirit living in us, we can be made new in him and we can become like him. So in the epistles, look for the provision of Jesus. Now here is our eighth and final interpretive key for the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Look for the promise of Jesus. Look for the promise of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. He says, look, I am coming soon. That's a good promise. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. In the book of Revelation, Jesus promises that he's gonna return and he's gonna restore justice and he's gonna bring healing to this broken world. So the message of the Old Testament is that someone is coming. The message of the gospels is that someone is here. The message of Acts and the epistles is that uh, someone has come and here's what it means for your life. But the message of Revelation is that someone is coming again. So look for the promise of Jesus. Uh, perhaps the greatest theologian of the 20th century was a man named Karl Barth. And Karl Barth one time was asked what the most amazing thing was that he'd discovered. And in all the thousands and thousands of pages that he had read and written, Karl Barth said the most astounding thing of all was this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see, church, this book is about Jesus. 
The Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Every verse in this book either predicts, prepares for, reflects on, or results from the work of Jesus Christ. So read this book and let it lead you to him. I heard the story of a missionary who's passing out New Testaments in a tribal village. And he came across one particular man who wasn't really interested in the Bible, but the missionary insisted that he take one anyway. And the man said, look, if you're gonna make me take this Bible, I just gotta be honest with you. I'm gonna take the paper and I'm gonna use it to roll cigarettes. And the missionary said, okay, no big deal. Just promise me that before you roll each page, you read it, read it before you roll it. The guy said, okay. And they parted ways, the missionary left. Well, a few years later, the missionary came back and he was preaching at a service. And lo and behold, that man was there. What, what in the world is this guy doing at a church service? What, what changed? And the tribesman said, well, after you left, I, I did what you said. I smoked Matthew. I smoked Mark. I smoked Luke. And I started smoking John. But then I got to John 3.16 and I could smoke no more. You see, scripture did what scripture always does. It led him to Jesus. And John 3, 16, in case you don't know, says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Listen, if you have not met Jesus yet, if you are not following him, please let us have a conversation. Let us walk with you through scripture to Jesus. You can always go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism card right there. We would love to have a conversation with you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then we're at that blessed time again every week where we take the bread and we take the juice and we tell him thank you for coming and for dying so that we could live. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.